Hello and welcome to Beyond the Classroom, the podcast that takes a critical look at the world of education with a particular focus on the curriculum and teaching in our secondary schools. I'm Kate Barry and I'll be talking to teachers and other educational professionals as we explore and interrogate what goes on inside, outside and beyond today's classroom. My guest today is Greg Foley. Greg's Associate Professor in the School of Biotechnology in Dublin City University and former Associate Dean for Teaching and Learning in DCU's Faculty of Science and Health. He's a regular contributor to Irish media, including the letters page of the Irish Times on issues affecting education in Ireland. I began by asking Greg to tell me a little about his early career in education. I work in, in DCU and I'm, I'm, I started here really still in IHE back in 1986 and um, I've watched it, it grow as, as an institution. I mean, the, the course I, I've taught all my life on the biotech degree was, was unique at the time and still is in some ways. And it's, and it's one of the reasons I'm often, I listen quite carefully to people who talk about interdisciplinarity and multidisciplinarity because my experience is they're, they're very hard to achieve because students like to compartmentalize and, and struggle to go from one subject to another. But NIHE was, was generally a bit different, you know, and um, I suppose the, the emphasis on, on the vocational aspect of education was, was there from the beginning. The genuine effort to be a little bit different from, from the Trinities and, and UCDs of this world. And, you know, before its time in the sense that it was always quite a student-centered institution. And a lot of that was the fact that we were all so young when we started there. I mean, I was only 23, others were seemed old to me at the time, but they were only 27, 28, you know, and I suppose over, over the years, what I've seen is that the third level system has become extremely competitive and it's, it's essentially a marketplace now. Other institutions started to try and copy us, so work placements became a thing for most institutions. The whole, I suppose, utilitarian aspect of education began to take over, I think, the sector as a whole. Everybody now is talking about you know, job placement rates and those kind of things. Whereas I think back in the 80s, Trinity and, and UCD could stand back a little bit and just, you know, were, were centres of education. That was it. But I think everybody has gone down this road now of, of being very focused on the role of education as preparing people for, for the workplace. So at the moment now we're in a a new phase in, in DCU and although I'm a conservative by heart as you probably know in terms of education we are I suppose looking at how we might shake things up a little bit again um, and you know COVID has been a big driver of that but it hasn't been the only driver I mean we there is a sense that students at third level are a little bit disengaged at times now and we're actually leading um, a project in our faculty called DCU Futures for we're looking at a number of new programs and trying to, I suppose, look at the education process. And we're going to try some of the things I've always fought against in some ways. But but the reason I'm involved is I, I want to do it in as evidence-based a way as possible and have more active type learning than we have at the moment. It's been a long journey for me and I've, I've the last few years have been a bit of an eye-opener for me in terms of 
trying to see things a little bit more from, from the student's perspective. Is there anything in particular, say if you look um, say if you look back to five or even three years ago, is there anything that you would have taken a different position on then that you would have a slightly different view of, of it now? Well, I think my I, I've become slightly more empathic with, with students. I mean, my, my view is always that, you know, education is not easy and you need to study hard. It's not necessarily fun all the time. There are certain things you just need to know if you're trying, if you want to master a discipline, there's no easy way around it. And a lot of the time in a, in a discipline like engineering, which I teach, that really means, you know, doing the hard graft of closing the door behind you and, and putting in the time and doing all the, the problem solving exercises that, that and developing the skills through practice, essentially. But uh, over the last few years, I've, I've begun to look at students a bit more and think they're not like I was <laughs> as a student, you know, so and I don't, you know, I think we can only do what, what's going to work for, for this generation. And, you know, even in the last few weeks, I've been organizing my lab modules and it's been so difficult because so many of the students are, are working part time. So their their lives are different to, the, to my life when I was a student. and. Whereas I was willing to put in eight hours graft in front of a computer terminal writing code, I don't think that they're going to, you know, I, I think it's, it's a different population mm. of students. So the challenge really is, is to try and shake things up so that when they come to college, they're, they're put in positions where they're really, and I know this word is, is bandied about a lot, but they're really engaged and they, they really want to focus on, on their studies. And, I think that that's going to require us to, to move away from some of the more traditional methods like lecturing. And, Will and is there, but the, no, that they want to be engaged, but the day-to-day -day motivation to actually be that, engaged is, is different. That's exactly than... it. And one of the things we found is that they really want to be on campus, but they don't want to be at lectures, really. They want to be doing things where they're you know they're they're interacting with with the lecturers and and with their their fellow students and uh, you could see it this morning in the labs I was I was teaching that there was a there was fantastic energy there that they were really glad to be back so I mean I always talk about my experience in in UCD back in the eighties where we had a situation where in third and fourth year the chemical engineering class. We had our own classroom um, and so the lectures tended to come to us. So it was a little bit like school, but you kind of wanted to be there. And all these things that people talk about nowadays, like group work and collaboration and all those things, they just happened because we had a, a place to go and, and to work together. And it was, the, I think that's what we need to do with our, our modern campuses to, to, to reimagine them as, as learning places of learning yeah. where students will want to come, yeah. you know, whatever tasks we assign them, as, as well as lectures. I mean, you're always going to have some lectures. So, and so a lot of what I do is, is trying to, to bring in, I suppose, innovative ways of doing things without falling into the, the territory of education fads, which we all know are out there. Big time. <laughs> yeah. And you write in one of your excellent blog posts about how you know telling students just be more engaged or can you just work harder, that it's a bit like when Homer tells Marge Simpson, just stop gambling, just stop yeah. 
exactly. Um, and that you, you have to put like structures in place for people to, you can't just assume that they're unmotivated or unwilling, you kind of have to put the structures in place to kind of help them. You absolutely do. And I think um, it's not easy because their their lives and, at the, you know, the, the recent conversations in the media about students not being prepared for life and what have you, they, they actually, I think, cope with life extremely well. Like they do have very busy lives, you know, in terms of the amount of part-time work they're doing. A lot of them are commuting huge distances. Some of them are living in substandard accommodation. Some of them are just hungry, you know? So like there's a very diverse population of students out there. So, um, and they are 70% of the school leaving population. They're not like they were back in the eighties when there was only 15% of us going to college. Our lives were quite simple. It was, it was study, study, study. So I, I think we do have to, you know, I, to, to change the way we're doing things. I mean, I often walk past, I'm a bit nosy, I walk past a lecture and you look into a lecture and you look at the body language of students and they're very disengaged. You know, they're looking at their phones and they're looking at their laptops. And so I, I think we, we do need to change a lot of what we're doing. At, um, you mentioned the phones there and the, the laptops and another way in which I think young people, like they're living in a different, a very different world than, than we were. When I when I started teaching, when the books I used to teach was, you know, Maeve Finchie's Circle of Friends. So I had an ordinary level leaving their class. That was the book I yeah. would do. Yeah. And I did it. Um, First time I would have honoured thing was 2004 and, and then the kids really got it. And then I, I taught it a few years later and maybe maybe just like five years might have passed in the or less than five years, I'd say. And the mm. kids could not understand this book. They couldn't understand why people were leaving messages for each other on the notice board in the common yes. room. And they couldn't understand how you'd ring somebody's yes. house and you'd have to speak to their mother and, before, and yes. then they would have to go and get the person. And in that mm. space of just a few years, their their lives had changed so much. Yes. Do you think that the impact of technology, like outside education, like outside say, um, you know, technology as applied in education, but just technology outside that, has that had an impact on young people's, I suppose, capacity for engagement in something that's right in front of them? I think it's it can be a real problem. I mean. I taught first year up to a few years ago and it was a very light course. It was kind of getting them to settle in. And one of the things I got to do was get them in in groups. Now this wasn't worth an awful lot in terms of their, their final mark or anything. So it was really a device to get them to know each other and stuff. But I, I, I had them in groups and I, I posed them all a design challenge. And the idea was to try and get them to think of the issues around scale. So in other words, it's, 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 one thing to make a few grams of something in a lab, it's another thing to make thousands of, of kilograms. So I posed each group, you know, particular challenges and how would you extract sugar from sugar beet? And a lot of them wouldn't even know what a sugar beet looked like. No, <laughs> that's gone now. It's no more piles with the side of the road. Exactly. And what I found, and I hadn't thought this through, was, and I was thinking they'd all get a group and they'd, they'd start thinking, they all just got out their phones and Google. So as, a, as an exercise, it was a disaster because they they were just copying from, from what they were getting through Google. And it struck me that Google actually is a real disincentive to thinking because you, you can get an answer so easily from Google. And it's, it, it's, it's quite a problem. And we're in second year or second semester. 
And I'm thinking, how am I going to get around the Google problem? How am I going to get them to actually think about the problem at hand? And But look, we all do it. We, it's the easy solution. I have books all over my office, but I never open them. I Google. <laughs> and, but I think there is a danger that, that you lose the ability to actually think things through. And you need knowledge even to use Google, because even to know what question to put in. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 you can just Google it. It's, it's just such a, a silly concept. And I, the one I always say to people when they make that argument is, yeah, you Google quantum cryptography or something, and you have not a clue what it's about. Explained to you by an expert. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous idea. But, you know, I, I think the idea that's this kind of learning at the last minute when you need it is, is such a flawed argument. I mean, you do have to have things in your head. I mean, even if you look at the events of the last few years and you look at, say, something like Brexit, you can't possibly make any sense of Brexit unless you understand something about the British Empire and the Second World War. Otherwise, you just conclude it's it's the British behaving like fools, but it's a bit more complicated than that. So I think you do have to know things that some people would describe as kind of academic, but they're not really because they're they're really important for how you interpret events in the world. You know, I had to laugh at, you know, the, in the latest um, discussions, you know, Simon Harris talking about climate skills. And like, the obvious answer there is geography. <laughs> it is, yeah. I would say that, that did occur to me, like, what is a climate skill? Like, is it, is it swimming? Like, is it rafting? Is it scavenging yeah. or <laughs> hunting rodents? Yeah, yeah that, that was a particular... I thought it was just kind of a coming together of various buzzwords as if you had like a generator, you know, these online generators where you put in yes. terms and it yeah. reads you back, um, you know, something. So like he put in like climate skills, 21st century. Yes. Yeah. And th exactly. this is what, what came out then. But I, I was listening to the Oireachtas committee yesterday from my Sims on education and I was close to despair because it was just the same old waffle about skills for this, skills for that, and no sense of the importance of, of having kind of some sort of deep understanding of subjects, you know, before you can acquire any of these kind of skills. It's, and it's such a pervasive idea. People say we should be teaching financial skills and we should be teaching students how to open bank accounts. And the same people saying that kind of thing will be saying that the world is changing so fast that you shouldn't teach people anything hardly. Yet, how to open a bank account is something that's going to change next week. Yep. Another website, like all of these things are so ephemeral and or how to do a tax return, like, That'll be different in a few years' time than it is now. So there's, there's no consistency in the arguments at all. And it's the same now with the sudden emphasis on, on apprenticeships. The, the same people who are advocating an apprenticeship, which is a definite thing, are also making the argument that you'll have 10 careers, you'll have 10 separate jobs in your lifetime. So what you really need is to be adaptable and agile and all those things. Which is the complete opposite to mm. focusing on being an apprentice. Mastering one particular thing and getting Yeah, really so like there's, there's no consistency and it's um, the fundamental problem in a lot of this is the fact that we have a system where an awful lot of kids go to college and there's a supply and demand problem and no matter what we do, it's, it's not the fault of the curriculum, it's not the fault of the exam, 
it's just that that marketplace mm. is causing all of this. So, and so often people then obsess about the leaving cert, the exam itself. But if you didn't have to get 600 points, then the leaving cert wouldn't be remotely as stressful. Do you think that the leaving cert is, in some ways, it's a, it's a scapegoat for you know, problems that are much wider and much more systemic, that if we change the leaving search, those problems would still be there. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's very easy to look at, at around you in the world and say, look, it's very digital, it's very technological. It's, it's different from what it was 10, 15 years ago. And conclude from that, that the leaving cert is, is obsolete because it's a traditional exam. But, but that's not the case. I mean, the leaving cert for me is and how somebody performs in it is, is an indicator of certain capabilities that they have. And they'd be general intelligence. I mean, you have to be intelligent and a good leaving cert. Those questions are hard. You have to have a really good work ethic. You have to be able to manage your time well. You have to, you have to have a tactical outlook. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, I should study X pretty hard this year because I think it's going to come up. That's a skill in itself, you know, I, I wouldn't disparage that. So it's this kind of jump from saying the world is like this, the leaving cert is largely what it used to look like, therefore it's obsolete. And it's, I don't think that's the case at all. I do think the leaving cert, the complete reliance on, on pen and paper is a limiting factor. You could have a lovely computational mathematics course, for example, if if students could be assessed in a way where they actually had access to, to a laptop um, or similar device. And you could still do that under exam conditions. Of course, yeah, yeah. It just has to, it would have to be resourced properly. But, but ultimately, there is a real swing away from exams. There's no doubt about that. And I, it, I can see it happening in third level. And there's, there's an awful lot of assessment going on that's very soft. I think, you know, portfolios, reflective diaries and they're all fine in their own way but they're not really academically challenging you know I see that happening more and more at third level and I, I think it's it'll probably happen at, at second level so you know and, and also like this is trying to get a balance you know between recognizing that we do have to move with, with the times but but not to just succumb to the numerous fads that, that are out there and ultimately I, I Education has to be challenging, you know, in an academic way. It, it's an academic pursuit. It's facing those challenges and overcoming them then, that's where the learning is. Well, absolutely, yeah. And I think we've, we've created a situation, though, where exams are seen as cruel or unfair. Where I don't think they are. They're just something you have to get through. You know, it's, I think we're, well, we're, we're medicalizing an awful lot in life these days. But I think exams is one of those things. And things like reflective journals and things can be can be lovely and can be a real mm. addition to learning. I think the, the problem with them is is where the assessment is high stakes that say, you know, if, say for the leaving search, if you start bringing in and things mm. say like classroom based assessments like we have with now with the junior cycle, the, the temptation for for parents like we, we know this will happen that for mm. families that have maybe more access to resources or that even have the money to pay for for help yeah. that that these kind of and some of these activities are it's, it's hard as you say to assess how much of this is the person relying on their own knowledge and how much is is somebody helping them whereas if it's in exam conditions at least you know that 
it is the person themselves. So the things that kind of set out to be supportive of learning and the intention is very good. Mm. If those then are then applied in a high stakes setting where there is competition, then yeah, and I think one of the things that continuous assessment of various kinds is seen as sort of a holy grail and somehow inherently better and less stressful in that. But uh, our experience over the last 18 months has been that we've overdone the continuous assessment because the exams were, were difficult to, to organize and students felt very overloaded and very stressed about it because the, the assignments were coming thick and fast. We, all, we, we tried to manage it and we had spreadsheets and plans and everything, but there were still periods where they were absolutely up to 90 and they were very stressed about it. And then if, if you've got a really high stakes situation like you have for the Leaving Cert, every single assessment is going to be high stakes. So in fifth year, you do a CA and you make a bags of it. You're already chasing the game for two years then. So like there are loads of downsides. And again, if you look at marking in, in third level, continuous assessment compresses the marks. You know, so in, in project work, for mm. example, everybody's getting in the 60s. You know, and mm. a few people are getting in the 70s and very few below that. So every little mark then becomes becomes crucial. So it's continuous assessment. Yeah. I think people yes. forget this, that that yeah. it is what it says on the tin. Like it's assessment exactly. that continues yeah. all the time and there really yeah. isn't yeah. any break from it. Yeah, the, the only thing is students do like it. You know, if you were to give them the option, they'll always go for mm. continuous assessment. But I think in college it's different because the stakes aren't really as high um, because there is the opportunity to repeat and because really none of the exams matter to the extent they, that the leaving cert does until maybe fourth year. But but if you if you try to put in continual assessment into the leaving cert, I, I think you'll have even greater stress problems. Um, plus all the things about, that you mentioned about plagiarism and people getting help from parents. I mean, I have a, a colleague, daughter was doing leaving cert history a few years ago, and she was doing a project and my friend had access to the president of an American university whose expertise was directly relevant to that project. So this was a kid from a middle-class background who had all of these resources at her disposal for, for that project. And you compare that with somebody from a, a desk school or whatever, who knows nobody yeah. and is probably relying on Google. So it's it, the problems with all these things are so obvious. It, it, just, it seems bizarre that, that the people are not talking about them. There is the, the expectation out there that you know, the more we move away from maybe the the way the education system is run traditionally like the more you know like the, the fairer it'll be what i think what they're thinking is that the that the teachers will be able to give more help and that more allowances will be made mm. for for students who come from less advantaged backgrounds like you know when the junior cycle came was, was changed i remember rory rory quinn like being very justifying all of this in you know, in terms of social justice, that it was going to re-engage um, this, the, the second-year boys who were in the departure lounge and it was going to yes. bring them into the, back, yeah, back yeah. re-engage them back into the educational fold. Well, it was very idealistic, I suppose, but, um, you know, I, 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 I think there's ultimately, a lot of people, when they look back at their experience of school, I think particularly secondary school, it, it may not have been all that positive, you know, and I think I didn't particularly like secondary school myself. I have to say I found it quite a controlled environment, and I 
but I loved university where it was everything was in in my own hands. And I think when when people look back at education and they look at they project their own experiences onto it. And you know, it is it can be a tough time, particularly for introverts. You know, where you're you're stuck in that class with your thirty other kids, and you do have the discipline of of having to study for exams. And a lot of people probably didn't enjoy their time in education. So there's this kind of instinctive desire to change it into something better. And there's also a very, I think people forget the value of, of their education and all the things they learned that does influence how they perceive the world and and are the, the utilitarian aspect of people's thinking around education now is, is overwhelming. I mean, everybody is talking in terms of it just preparing you for, for the workplace and yeah. for, for really practical stuff. Whereas a lot of it is about, as I said earlier, it's about how you perceive the world. And you know, a lot of what, what you learn in school affects those things. It affects how you vote, it affects your opinions. And that's that's important, you know. And but people seem to forget that and, and just dismiss everything they've ever learned you know, as being irrelevant. It's the curse of knowledge that if you know something, it's very, or they say, as Daisy Christodoulou says, you know, that knowledge is like oxygen, that you, if mm. you have it, you don't notice it. And you don't, yes. it, that you can't, it's hard to empathise, or it's hard to even conceive of people not knowing things. And I think that mm. people forget, so when they think back about school, they remember the affective parts. And you're yes. saying about how they felt and, and the social experience. But they don't make the link that that's where they learned the things that they know. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And that kind of um, curse of knowledge is you see that in in academia a lot actually. And you, you know you'd hear academics sort of bemoaning the fact that first year students can't think critically and all this kind of stuff. And I I always say they're eighteen. <laughs> they're in college studying probably something they've never studied before. So. They don't have the basic knowledge to be able to, to write a coherent essay on Plato or, or whatever. They're only beginning to grasp these new ideas. Um, and I think a lot of us in third level, and I, I'm guilty of it myself, you know, when I'm going, looking at some of the mathematical skills, you forget what it was like yourself. And it's very easy to fall into that trap of having ridiculous expectations of 18 and 19 year olds. Going back to the article by Simon Harris yesterday, he said that, you know, the schools should, um, you know, that schools should definitely like focus on on helping students transition to third level. But mm. there there wasn't like a knowledge component of this. It was more, I think, like the practical issues of how to do your own laundry, maybe, or how to open your bank account. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, that the, the opening the bank account thing is, I think is hilarious because that takes 10 minutes. <laughs> Click open account. But um, no, but it is it, it's um it it is something that observed or people looking in on the system are, are just have forgotten completely how important those just those basic aspects of of education are, you know. And wonderfully, and this is the thing that, that kind of annoys me about a lot of the criticism of school leavers is that when I taught first years, I'm really impressed by a lot of their basic skills in things like writing. Um, and what I think what happens then, then is that because they're grasped, they are grappling with so many new ideas and so many new concepts, and they're probably 
maybe learning new software and that that it it becomes a struggle then for them to write within this new kind of context so they kind of go a little bit backwards at times but but that's not the fault of the leaving cert or the secondary school system it's just the nature of that transition student who studies law knows nothing about law when they start or, or the whole philosophy of law and, and concept of case law all those kind of things so expecting them to be kind of fluent problem solving <laughs> whatever when they're they're just grasping grappling with these new ideas i think is, is crazy they're really in whatever discipline they're studying at third level they're going back to being novices again in something yes that's, that's new exactly and we see that a lot with our students who very few seem to do chemistry for the leaving cert in comparison with, with biology so it's a real struggle for them and you know things that we take for granted like what what is a mole or, or what is ph and it doesn't mean anything to them because they've studied a little bit of science for the junior cert but they, they've forgotten it you know so they're it's not that they're they're stupid they just these concepts are new to them again um, would you like to see like changes because there will be changes in their coming to senior cycle that you were talking with students there going in to do a course where there's um, a chemistry component, a significant chemistry component in the course, but there's very few third level courses. Now, pharmacy would be one where chemistry is required. Like, would you like to see more um, more of a link made between the subjects you do for your leaving cert and the course you do in university? Whereas at the moment unless unless a subject is mandated for a particular course which mm -hmm. rarely happens and apart from higher level maths all of the subjects count the same so your student yeah. that did geography for example mm -hmm. they would get as much points for that as for chemistry even though they're applying for a course that doesn't probably have any geography in it and does have quite a lot of chemistry yeah yeah and i know you've made that argument before and i it, it there is a lot of sense for it. and the one thing i would say though we have people in DCU, Billy Kelly in particular, who've done an awful lot of correlating of school performance with, with college performance. And the, the big predictors, I may have got this slightly wrong, but as far as I remember, the big predictors are things like performance in, in maths and English. I don't think getting down to that, that kind of fine scale of things is that important. I think, I think just overall performance in the leaving search seems to be a reasonably good indicator of performance certainly in the early years of, of college and um, now it does slow us down i mean if students haven't done chemistry we do have to start from scratch and, and what have you but i i don't see that as being a huge problem in the sense that i don't think it's going to to change things like um, completion rates or our performance or whatever i think all of that comes out in the wash over the four years so i i wouldn't one of the things we've learned from fiddling with the CAO system is that there's always unintended consequences. So you wouldn't know what's, what, what that would lead to. I'd, I'd have to really think that through, actually. For me, the, the, the big problem at the moment is just there isn't enough capacity in the courses that students want to do. And that the, the points system, it does come down to supply and demand. And, and where there are pinch points, it mm. is because the there's more demand yeah. than supply there. Now, one of the things that it's certainly in my role at the moment, I'm kind of, you know, driving some of these innovative things is that we have to adopt 
a, a different attitude to what we're doing at third level. I mean, our for years we say my job, I think of myself as producing a biotechnologist. I I think and all the biotechnologists essentially do the same thing. I think we have to to look on a lot of third level education slightly differently. Not for everybody, but would see third level education as an opportunity for the student to be educated and to have some ability to tailor their education to suit what, what they want to do. And for example, we have one course in particular that the demand for next year in secondary is going to be massive. But we have a big bottleneck in that our labs can only fit so many students. So I think long term, what we're going to have to do is take in more students to take the pressure off the leaving cert would offer more pathways through the system for students you know so so i think that the solution really of all of this lies with the universities like if we have 50 students studying genetics and cell biology there's no reason why every single student should do every single laboratory module i i don't think i think some of them might see their careers going in a certain direction say well i don't need to do that advanced genetics module because i don't fancy being a laboratory scientist but I, I i love the science itself so i think if if we embrace that kind of flexibility in our degree programs um, and allow students more choice in terms of pathways i, I think mm. that will allow us to increase capacity and hopefully take a little bit of heat off the, the leaving cert and, and i think the the technological university thing i think is a, is is a good move because i think that will hopefully make those institutions more attractive and spread the, the load a little bit around the country. Um, but I think it will be a disaster if we just fiddle with the, the senior cycle, thinking it's going to fix yeah. a problem that's due to capacity in the third level sector. It's just... When it's still that watershed moment, and mm. you know that you just there's there's just this one moment in your life where you have the high stakes assessment with. I think what causes students as much stress and as much pressure is is the is the choice, and and some of them yeah. they, they're very clear on what it is that they want to do, and then there's some of them that that don't that don't have a notion, but they're quite happy, you know, to see where life takes them. But there are some students as well who are kind of in the middle and who who know that you know whatever course they take, this is going to set them on a certain path. So I I think anything that would would take that heat out of it a little bit that okay you have to make decisions now and there will be big decisions but you're going to be over the next few years as you go through university you'll have more opportunities to, to kind of sidestep or specialize it's, it's less about finding that one course that's my course exactly and when i was teaching first year a few years ago i used to give a, a talk that i called the, the 10 kinds of scientists and it was obvious when students came in that they they had this perception of a scientist as somebody in a lab coat standing at a bench all day. And when I, you know, I said to them, look, most scientists end up working in an office in front of a computer. This was news to them, you know, and that there are all sorts of possible careers. So, you know, I, I do think the solution in all of this does lie in, in the third level sector. And, and it just a, a slight change in mindset that, as I said, that we're not producing this thing called the biotechnologies or whatever. We're, we're offering an opportunity for, for people to, to go down an educational route that, that they enjoy, that engages them and offers them a, a good 
career prospects. And that requires changes of, of hearts and minds within the university sector as well, because I know from what I'm doing at the moment that it, it, it's a difficult job to change people's minds because people, particularly scientists, I'd say, are very wedded to the idea of almost reproducing themselves, you know, that I was taught this way in Trinity and we did a four-year project of it. 10 weeks therefore our students should do the same so people are very attached to what we've always done before but i i, I really think that with the advent of, of more more blended learning that is going to be a reality and for stuff like i teach i think it works very well and more choice and more pathways through the system and um, i i think that's that's where it's all going to be solved unfortunately we we, we obsess about you know project maths and <laughs> that kind of stuff thinking is going to fix everything when it's just not every everything has unintended consequences thanks thanks yeah, it does, yeah. thanks thanks greg I think we're nearly close to wrapping up there i might just ask you and to close like to think um what would be like two things you think are working well currently in the irish education system and maybe what would be your priority um for something then you think that should change well, at, at second level, I definitely think the whole area of, I hate to use the word, but, but digital skills <coughs> needs to be addressed properly. I mean, I students in the lab today, second year, third years, and the, the, the range of skills within a single class. Now, some of this is our fault because we haven't taught them either, but, um, you know, for, for some people, an Excel spreadsheet is an absolute mystery and others, it's they're extremely fluent. Um, but I certainly think kids leaving school should be pretty digitally literate, you know, in terms of being able to use the, the kind of software that we all use in our daily lives now. Um, so I think that would, would be a, a big one. I'd also, I think there's a real need in the second level system for far greater, well, career guidance, essentially, but far more opportunity for students to reflect on, on their education on, on where it's all heading and what sort of future they envisage for themselves. Because as you said, they're confronted with this massive choice uh, and the number of courses are huge and they don't really know anything about them when mm. they, they start. I mean, I, I see that with our, our first years this year, and they have three courses they can go into second year, and they don't really know anything about the three three options, you know. So I think that's that's really important for their personal development as well and, and their general happiness, you know, that that they have a sense of where they're going. So they, they'd be the two big areas I'd see at the moment. But we, we do ourselves a terrible disservice. I mean, if you look at the Irish education's performance worldwide we do a really good job you know and people forget that you know it's 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 a very irish thing to assume that everything we do is terrible and it's broken education is broken we need to fix it yeah but it's like the health service as well which is i always say i know the health service quite well it's 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 patchy you know but it's outstanding in some areas and it's terrible in others like it's we, we just have this tendency to run everything we do down but but maybe the two things you do at second level, but certainly the third level, I think that kind of flexibility and, and agility to use a bit of a cliche, I think that's going to be really important. Unfortunately, we are it is the third level system is a market, so we're all competing with each other. If, if we were a little bit more strategic about the sector as a whole, 
you know, and, and trying to spread the demand around a little bit. And I think the Technological University uh, project may offer some opportunities there, but I, um, I'd be hopeful that if we don't fall into the, the, the trap of just fiddling with the, the senior cycle, I, I think there's a good mood now in the third level system after COVID for, for change and for being a little bit more flexible about how we do things. And there is, for the first time ever, I've heard people, you know, chatting to colleagues saying, yeah, maybe we, we need to reduce the number of labs we do, you know, because there's such a bottleneck, you know, and it would have been a holy grail, but there is a shift now to, towards, you know, being a bit more flexible. I'd like to thank Greg Foley for talking with me today. You can find Greg on Twitter at Greg Foley 2002 and you can read his provocative blog, Tales from Academia, at www.gregfoleydcu.wordpress.com. Until next time, here on Beyond the Classroom, Slán Agus